morning. You're listening to Breakfast Bites, and I'm Felicia King. Today's show, we're going to talk about a variety of security-related topics uh, re- regarding information technology security, but also I intend on making you a better consumer of IT services and products by educating you so that you know what you should be asking for. All right, let's start off on that exact topic because I think that's probably the hottest topic out there. And I'll give you some kind of background context for this. What I experience and certainly what I hear from uh, fellow business owners in the IT services industry, whether they happen to be managed services or just consulting project services or managed security services providers, it really just doesn't matter. What I hear consistently across the board is that for some bizarre, shocking reason that we don't quite understand because we feel it to be somewhat illogical, a lot of business decision makers do not want to become informed decision makers so that they can make good business decisions with regards to information technology security. Now, I'm not going to make any assessment whatsoever about any other area simply because I don't have the data on that and that's outside of the scope of the discussion anyways. But I can say that it is only a small percentage of business decision makers that truly endeavor to be making the most informed decisions by becoming aware of what those factors are that they should be looking at to be making decisions. So give you some good concrete examples of this. It's not uncommon for a business to spend uh, anywhere from thirty to $100,000 a year on information technology budget in general across the board. You know, that that's not uncommon. And you would think that anything that adds up to being that significant as a business owner you would want to be having uh, an update discussion on that matter at least four times a year. You know, how often do you meet with your external tax advisor as a business decision maker? How often do you consider tax strategy? How often do you meet with key vendors? How often do you meet with your insurance agent for a review? Now, some of the answers on these things are going to be annual meetings, twice a year meetings, but I would challenge you to think about when was the last time that you actually sat down and had a thorough, and I mean a thorough meeting, with your IT service provider. And if they are offering it and you're not making the time for it, there's a big problem there. Uh, and I, it seems to me that a lot of business decision makers feel uncomfortable in those meetings, not because they're being talked down to or uh, not because they're not being respected or, or, you know, there's no really logical reasons for it. It seems to me that they feel uncomfortable because it's content that they don't otherwise have a baseline to evaluate utilizing their existing knowledge base. You know, do they understand more about tax and accounting uh, and, you know, procurement or distribution or um, supply chain 
uh, sure, I'm sure that they understand more about those sorts of things. Uh, IT can be more amorphous and gray and difficult to understand. However, I have 20 years of experience telling you that uh, it is actually pretty easy for a business decision maker to become extremely well-informed if they choose to do so. And that is just simply a matter of being willing to engage in the conversations on a regularized basis over a period of time and to uh, listen and to engage in critical thinking and then uh, ask salient questions and literally look at figures and just getting involved. That's the big piece right there is just getting involved. And I appreciate the desire to want to delegate where I think it all breaks down is when there is too much delegation. And I could give you an example of, you'll see some, let's say companies with 200 or 300 people, uh, employees, and executive management is all concerned over something like a $65,000 expenditure, and they literally refuse to meet with the vendors to even talk about the expenditure. So they're concerned about it, but they refuse to have a meeting. <laughs> and then they rely upon the judgment of one person internally at the company, their internal IT person, to be able to advise them on that. And to me, I mean, if I was that business decision maker, do I want to hear from internal IT their viewpoint on the topic? Absolutely. But if I'm going to spend $65,000, I would also want to hear from the vendor too. So isn't it worth it an hour or two of time simply to learn more about what it is that's the value that's going to come to the organization from that expenditure? Because I guarantee you, that the vast majority of internal IT managers do not have the skills to effectively articulate the value business proposition <clears throat> to the business of whatever that IT thing happens to be. Now, the really good ones, they will talk to the vendors, and through that process, they will get educated themselves but you're typically looking at somebody who's got 15 years of experience in the industry, and they've also got to have a very open heart attitude. And unfortunately, that isn't the majority of people that I find to be in IT manager positions. A lot of people in IT manager positions are you know, very good people, but they're uncomfortable with being in a position that says, I don't know. And I think that's it's a self-confidence issue. So the best IT people are those that have such self-confidence that they say, yeah, it's okay that I don't know everything. And that's perfectly fine. And I think this is a two-way street as well. You'll see executive management who has completely unrealistic expectations about what their internal IT should know 
and I mean completely unrealistic expectations. They somehow seem to think that they should be the master experts at all this technology that they're supposed to support, and um, <clears throat> that's just beyond unreasonable. It's reasonable to expect that they should be able to provide perhaps Tier 1 and Tier 2 support for that technology, but it's very naive to think that they are going to be able to be a generalist in your organization while simultaneously being a master expert in each one of those technologies, right? So that by itself, over-reliance on internal IT is really what causes most organizations to have major problems. What should be happening is, yes, rely upon internal IT, but also bring in one key external vendor, your key consultant, who can engage on a regularized basis, almost as a, let's say, a virtual CIO, somebody to give you assistance with your budget, and uh, somebody who can give you that overarching architectural and engineering design and really provide strategic guidance as well as escalation support for everything that it's not reasonable that your internal IT is an expert at. So with this, you get the best of both worlds because you now have access to uh, high-level experts that you could never afford to hire internally and in this process of having them regularly involved, your internal IT just gets better and better and better. But as a business decision maker, you have got to be engaged with that vendor. You cannot, and I stress you cannot, simply just rely upon internal IT to keep you informed. You have to have this open and honest communication and invite them to tell you areas where internal IT could be improved. And it has to be this trifecta sort of partnership where executive management is seeking to become an informed business decision maker. They are not just delegating their decision making responsibility to internal IT, nor at the same time are they expecting internal IT to be able to relay back to them the effectiveness of whatever is coming from their vendor. You've got to be getting engaged. This is absolutely the number one failure that I see, that I've seen for the last 25 years out of business decision makers, is their lack of desire to assign adequate time, that's all it really is, is make the time to sit down and have the conversations with people. It could be phone, could be webinars, uh, it could be face-to-face. -face. It doesn't really matter. I think all of those are very effective. But you have to assign the time. If you have a vendor who wants to meet with you and you don't make the time and, you know, three times you set up, they've set appointments with you and you just keep finding something more important to do, well you're not going to be an informed business decision maker at that point. And you know what? You're never going to know if you've got a blind spot with what internal IT is doing that they're not doing well. Because that is always the case. There is always a scenario where internal IT, and again, I'm speaking from 25 years of experience here working with hundreds of organizations, that 
internal IT always has something that they could be doing better. And this isn't, it's not because they're bad people. It's because it's unrealistic to expect them to be an absolute expert at everything. So if you want your organization to have the most effective, lowest total cost of ownership technology, then you need that partnership of your external expert. And I'm not talking a blanket pile of experts. You get too many fingers in the pot, it's all going to go to heck in a handbasket. I've seen people do that too, and it gets very, um, it's extremely counterproductive, extremely counterproductive. So you have your key external partner, you have your internal IT, but you also need to be involved. I've seen organizations make just catastrophic, insanely expensive uh, business decision failures simply because no one, and I mean no one from the executive management team, wanted to take the time to even remotely ever become aware of what was going on from an IT perspective. They naively just took this convenient attitude and approach that said, basically, you know, the IT people don't really need management. They know what they're doing. They're going to tell me if there's a problem. But again, they don't know what their blind spots are. So um, this is huge because this also now has not just financial implications, but security implications for your company. How is it that you know you've got adequate security? Well, you don't until you're talking to your vendor. Have you talked to your vendor about doing a network assessment? How about a, a cyber insurance risk assessment? You know, and I'm not talking about getting other external parties involved. Again, I find that to be very counterproductive. If you're going to build, if you're, if you're going to have an architect for a campus, you are only going to get economies of scale and consistency of vision and cost effectiveness by having the same architect participate in all phases of that campus. Maybe you've got a three building campus now and you're going to add another building or you're simply going to do a remodel on an existing section of campus that you have. So how does that add value to go out and find an entirely different architect? It generally doesn't. Well, the same thing actually applies to IT. And I think what I see happening sometimes is a business decision failure where people think that they can just go out and get bids for something at some, and somehow that's actually leading to good business decision-making processes. And when I see this whole bidding out thing, that's generally the bottom of the barrel. They're just lacking the ability to come up with a better sourcing process. So I'll give you some good examples of this. Uh, data cabling is uh, really the simplest example, but I'll give you some uh, better examples of it as well. So in the case of data cabling, it's not all created equal. You can't just call up three different data cabling vendors and expect them to come in and engineer a solution for you 
with any level of cognizance about what's going on in the rest of your environment. They don't know. They're not network architects. They're not server architects. They aren't systems, email, WAN, etc. They're not that. There's no data cabling guys that have those skills, which is exactly why you shouldn't ever hire data cabling guys to do surveillance cameras either. But, you know, this is my opinion, and I could go into another dissertation on why that's the case. So really what needs to happen is the people that support and engineer and design the network, the systems, the servers, the email, the WAN, the etc. They need to create what is called a bid spec. Okay, so they're actually the people that are going to do the architecture plan. And that architecture plan is going to say things like, here's our standards. We want these types of panels, these types of jacks. We want these types of hangers. And this is the color, color of the cabling. And this is how it's going to be done. And these are the parts that are going to be used. So you need to have somebody that is actually going to do that engineering and architectural specification. Otherwise, you're going to have bids that fundamentally none of them are actually going to meet the needs that you have because none of them were informed by the needs that you have in specificity enough, in enough specific detail to actually get to that as a result. Something as simple as specifying that you're going to have four jacks per terminated location in an office and that the jack height needs to be 33 inches or 30 inches, 32 inches, something around that ballpark. Because why? Well, because we don't, we can't have the situation where desks and file cabinets and whatever are getting jammed up against a wall and then breaking the jacks and breaking the data cabling. And besides the fact, you can't even get to it. So standard, by a lot of people's metrics, is 18 inches high match the electrical height. So if you don't do something as simple as specifying that says, here's the locations. Okay, we, this is where our furniture is going to be. These are our, where our offices are going to be. And the desks in the offices. And say, okay, and I want it here and I want it 32 inches high. And I want four jacks there. And they're going to be CAT 6A. And they're going to be run in pipe. So if you don't go to that level of detail, then you're going to get bids that are all over the place. And none of them are actually going to achieve what you want. Because in a desire to be a, receiving that bid, you know, to be having an accepted bid, Vendors try to find ways to cut corners. I mean, some vendors will say, look, you know, this is our floor and, you know, we take pride in our work and we just won't go below this floor. And so, you know, there's going to be cheaper, cheaper people out there, but they're not going to give you a good result. And that, that's very possible. In fact, it's highly probable. But how do you ever evaluate those differences? So... What I'm saying is all this experience that I have is that you have to actually start with an architectural design for something and an engineered solution. And if you're going to bid it out, the bid has to be based upon this engineered solution, and that's the only way that you're going to get apples to apples. 
Now take that one step further. How do you then hold a vendor accountable to delivering that result? Well, if you started with the engineered solution, if you started with that architected design, well, now it becomes very simple to do. Because all you have to do is say, okay, look, here's, here's the design. You bid on that. We accepted your bid. This is what you're going to deliver. You don't get paid unless you deliver that. And this is very, I'm dead serious about this. I had a situation where I did an engineering design for data cabling for a facility, which I do quite a lot of that. And it was bid out. The low bid guys were selected to do the job. They come in. They don't even tell the IT person that they're in the, in the building. So they have the arrogance to think that they should just walk into the building and start drilling holes wherever and doing whatever, which is always a bad sign. And then the IT guy calls me up in a panic because he managed to go to the basement and he says, I'm pretty sure they're installing the wrong cabling down there. So he goes and gets a picture with his phone and he emails it to me and I'm like, yep, that's the wrong cabling. <laughs> so... I had to get on the phone with the business owner of the data cabling company and tell them, hey, I didn't understand. You know, you need to call up your guy and tell them to stop right now because we're not going to pay. You know, the customer is not going to pay for this work because you're installing the wrong cabling that does not match the bid spec for the bid you provided and that was accepted. He literally said to me, I mean, he was a real dirtbag. He literally said to me, well, I don't know what you're talking about. We don't have that bid spec. And I'm like, like, well, gee, I have the emails where it shows that, yes, you received that bid spec. And, gee, how on, the, how on earth did you actually bid for a job based upon no bid spec? I mean, what you say here doesn't even make any sense. So we ended up having to get the facilities director involved who literally uh, went to the basement and told the guy to get out of the building. And uh, that vendor was changed because they were so terrible. Uh, the vendor actually had the audacity to argue with us about why is it that you even need Cat6 cabling, literally, and I had to inform him that nobody in their right mind has actually used Cat5e cabling since 2009. You know, it's ancient technology. And on that topic, I consistently run into situations nowadays where people are trying to run modern equipment off of Cat5e cabling, and they find it just literally doesn't work. Yeah just does not work. I, I can think of at least 15 examples that have happened just in the last four months of uh, people who were like, yeah, you know, I put it on the switch and it's fine in the data center. And then I take the equipment out at the end of the line uh, and it, you know, it's not a long line. It's maybe only a hundred feet and then it doesn't work. So what's going on? And I ask them, well, what's the cabling? Oh, it's CAT 5E. Well, there's your problem right there. So then they go and they run a Cat6 or a Cat6A line. I'm actually recommending Cat6A at this time. And lo and behold, then the equipment starts working just fine. And it's because Cat5E does not have the capabilities to run uh, modern equipment. And it really didn't have the capabilities 10 years ago either, which is why you know, smart people weren't using it 
in the in the Wayback Machine. So when I see nowadays where somebody's coming in with Cat 5e cabling, I mean my head wants to explode because the reality is Cat 6 cabling or Cat 6a versus the pricing for Cat 5e is nominal. The price difference is is very small. What the cost of a cabling system is is it's really all about efficacy and the labor to install it. So why on earth would you spend any manpower labor installing old deprecated garbage? Why? Well, see, as a business decision maker, how do you have any ability to know what the little technical details are that are actually going to have an enormous long-term impact for you? if you don't employ the services of a deeply technical advisor, if you instead think that you can just do this stuff on your own or somehow your internal IT is going to be able to do it on their own, believe me, they don't know all this stuff about data cabling and you can't necessarily research it on the internet. The information just isn't out there. It's not meant to be out there. The types of people that have that information are RCDDs or um, people that, interact with RCDDs or vendors like QPC that have direct access to the highly technical resources at manufacturers. And those resources are not available to your internal IT department. That's why it's just another good reason why you need to have an external uh, support person, another external, basically an architect and an engineer who is going to help you with your strategic vision they don't have to be the data cabling vendor, but you have to use them to design the specification for what the data cabling should be. Otherwise, you're just lighting money on fire. And I'm really serious. You are just lighting money on fire. The biggest mistake I see businesses doing is they think that they are saving money by not having that external expert that their primary consulting vendor involved in these these matters. I mean, it, it, the the mistakes range anywhere from several hundred thousand dollars that I've seen recently uh, to you know thousands of dollars or tens of thousands of dollars. And but the mistakes end up end up costing significantly more than getting that person involved even for ten hours of work. So. Uh, another good example of this whole thing about why you can't just bid out jobs is this vision piece of, okay, we have these pieces in the environment already. All of these pieces fit together in a particular way. How do you then bid that out to, how do you call four different, you know, IT services vendors and get them to come in and bid that says, um, yeah, integrate this component. Like, let's integrate this phone system or let's integrate this other component into our environment or do an Office 365 migration or whatever. This really doesn't work. You can't bid that out if you do, um, if, if you're not just selecting a vendor and sticking with it and using them for everything, it will cost you significantly more money and rework every single time. Uh, I encountered a, a Catholic institution who 
had taken that approach for some reason they had a procurement process that said we have to bid everything out and inevitably what happened was that every single project that was done ended up having to do rework or going back and changing some of the work that a prior vendor had done that was actually in conflict with what needed to be there in terms of settings. And so every single vendor that came in had to do this whole discovery process and a rework process just to finally get to the point where they could do the work that they were originally contracted to do. And all of that was a change order that was far above and beyond the original bid and you don't think they did that for free no that's under the guise of we give you this bid for this work based upon the existing prerequisite conditions if those existing prerequisite conditions do not exist then you're gonna pay time and materials to make it so so if you think you're saving money by bidding things out you're not I just don't see it. I never have seen it. I'm not saying that the bid process doesn't have some validity, but boy, does it have to be managed effectively. And the vast majority of cases, uh, certainly in the small business market, uh, it is not being managed effectively because the people managing it just don't have the, the skill to do so. So I leave you with that as some food for thought from this week, and I hope you have a fantastic weekend.